Well, I was kind of hoping that not so many of you would show up this week. <laughs> uh, no, if, you, if you're going to have a, a controversial topic, you want it to be on a major secular holiday. So, um, and that's the way it worked out. Um, uh, it just worked out that way. Uh, uh, my, my goal is simply not to make the mistake of Eli, right? If, if we can just get to today's service and, and not wind up for the next 3,000 years as the person that they point to as the one who made the big goof, then I figure I will have done pretty good. So Eli did that. Eli, Eli uh, saw, saw Hannah um, uh, praying, and he told her to, to get out of there because she was a drunken woman, and, and for 3,000 years we've been remembering his mistake. So um, uh, hopefully that won't be the case today. Uh, this is a hard passage for us because, because, um, because the fact of the matter is Paul tells women to be quiet in church, and women aren't. And so we have to figure out what do we do about that. Uh, does that mean Paul was wrong, or does it mean we're wrong? We don't like either one of those answers. So what we're going to do today is look at this passage where Paul tells women to be quiet in church and treat it like a hard passage of Scripture. There's, there's a couple of ways you can deal with a hard passage of Scripture. The, the way that most of us deal with the hard passages of Scripture is, is, is to simply ignore it. Okay, it's like I don't go there. I don't think about that one. My eyes just naturally slide right past it down to the next part, and I just kind of move over it. And that's a very common way to to uh, treat difficult places in Scripture. Um, and if you're if you're a scholar, if you've got some book learning, if you know the original biblical languages, then you can do it with a twist. You can ignore the passage by saying, "Well, that is a later interpolation." Okay, you say some editor in the early church added this. It's not part of the authentic, authentic Pauline corpus. It's actually a, a later interpolation by a by a less enlightened individual than Paul. And so, so that's a fancy way of ignoring it. You say, well, I don't have to ignore it. I don't have to pay any attention to it because somebody put it in later. And and that's another way of ignoring it. And the problem with that is, where do you stop, right? You, in anything you don't like in scripture, you say, well, that's a later interpolation. You know, in the early church, they just, you know, and pretty soon you've got a Bible that looks like a lace curtain because you've taken out everything that you don't like. So one way you can do it is to ignore it. You just ignore it, either, either just run your eyes past it or actually like Thomas Jefferson, get your scissors and snip it out. So that's one way you can treat the Bible. The other way is you can treat it with a wooden literalism. Um, and that means to say, you know, you've seen the bumper sticker, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Okay? You, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take it word for word, the way it appears in my translation, and, and that'll be the end of it. Um, and, and like I said, the problem with that is, is that the fact is, women do talk in church. So what do you do? Do you run them out? Um, do you, do you just change the rules? What do you do? Um, if you're going to approach it with a wooden literalism. I'm going to propose instead we do something that's, that's more difficult than either one of those. I'm going to propose we take the Bible seriously. That we're going to take the Bible seriously and try to understand what it is that Paul was saying. So, uh, that's what we're going to do today. And the first way we take the Bible seriously is we understand the genre of what we're writing, what we're reading. Okay, what is it? The Bible is full of 66 books. Some of them are poetry. Some of them are songs. Some of them are historical uh, uh, accounts. And some of them are letters. This is a letter. It is the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. And the nature of a letter is that it is one half of a conversation. So um, uh, 
I'm going to try and illustrate this. I tried to do some technology, and and uh, despite a career in the business, it defeats me. So I'm going to read you. Some of you have seen this movie. Um, how many of you, just a show of hands, how many of you have seen the, recognized that movie? Okay, one. All right, it's Dr. Strangelove. Yes, okay, so it's um, uh, Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, and uh, others. This is a scene from the movie In the War Room. The President of the United States has phoned the pres- the Premier of, of the Soviet Union to explain uh, that something has gone wrong. So he's, he's on the red phone. And the phone call goes like this. I'm going to read a, a transcript. It says this. Hello? Hello, Dimitri? I, I can't hear you too well. Do, do you suppose you could turn the music down a little? Uh, there, there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, now then, Dimitri, uh, you know how we've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb. The bomb, Dimitri. The hydrogen bomb. Well, well, now what happened is, is one of our base commanders, he had a, he had a sort of, well, he, he went a little funny in the head. You know, just a little funny. And, and he went and he did a silly thing. Well, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his planes to attack your country. Well, let me finish, Dimitri. Let me finish. Well, listen, how do you think I feel about it? And so forth. So the movie goes on. But the point uh, that the video would have would have made, and I hope I made, is that we're hearing half the conversation, and we have to imagine what's going on on the other side. And what enables us to do that is we have context. We understand that Dimitri is a Russian name. We understand uh, the bomb. When he says something goes wrong with the bomb, we understand he's talking about the hydrogen bomb. We understand what a base commander is. We understand this conversation. Even though we don't hear the other half, we can imagine, we can fill in the blanks and understand what is going on on the other side of the phone call. And we have to approach a letter, the first letter to the Corinthian church, the same way. It is half of a conversation. So what is Paul saying? He says, he says in verse 33, um, sorry, uh, in verse 34, women should be silent in the churches. And so the question we're wrestling with is, should women be silent in the churches? And so the way we have to uh, answer that question is by looking at the letter and saying, what was Paul getting at? What is the context of the half of the conversation that we're privy to? So what is Paul saying? He says women should be silent. Well, what does he mean by women? Uh, uh, he says he says women should be silent in the church. Does he mean all women? It, it's a fair question because in a few verses he says let them ask their husbands. So maybe he just means married women. Only married women should be silent in the church. And unmarried women and widows, they can talk all they want. Right? Now you say, well, Luke, you're just kind of making things up. Uh, but that's a legitimate translation. And in fact, the word for women is, um, here, can you move forward? The word in, in, that's used here in the, in the Bible is gune. Um, and depending on how it's, how it's, um, inclined, uh, declined. Anyway, the way it functions in the sentence, sometimes it's gunaikos. Uh, and you, if you know the word gynecology, um, and half of you do, um, uh, you know that that's where that word comes from. So uh, it's it's the study of of women. So um, gynecology is the study of women, the study of gynecus. So um, so uh, 
uh, that is the word that is used here. It means women and it means wives. And similarly, in verse 30, uh, 34, 35, when he says, let them ask their husbands, he's saying, let them ask their aner, their andros. We know that word from android and words like that. Um, uh, chemically, med- medical people talk about androgen and things like that. So it's the word that has to do with manly things. So, so gunikas and andros, that's the words that Paul is using here. So he's saying, he's saying, uh, women should be silent in the churches. Let them ask their men at home. Or he's saying, wives should be silent in church. Let them ask their husbands. And the only translation I, I found that translates this, what I would think is correctly, is the message, uh, um, Eugene Peterson's, where he says wives should be silent in church and, um, and they should ask their husbands. There's no reason to pick uh, women in one verse and then pick husbands in the next. So, so there's a question, first of all, is who... Is he talking to? Is he talking to all women or is he talking to wives? The next question is, which set of women or which set of wives is he talking to? Is he talking to you or is he just talking to the women or wives in that one church in Corinth 2,000 years ago? There's there's a legitimate reason. Now, I'm going to walk you through this and I, I've got slides and I hope I can get through this. So the key is in verse 33, the second half of verse 33. It says, as in all the churches of the saints... Um, you see, in our translation, they've broken that verse in half. So verse 33 says, uh, God is not a, um, a God of disorder, but of peace. Period. Paragraph. New paragraph. As in all the churches. All right. How did they do that? In the original Bible language, uh, there was no punctuation. The words just ran one after another. In fact, there wasn't even spaces between words. So, so people who read the original manuscripts have to decide where all those things are. And they decided, our translation decided that they would put a paragraph after peace and before as. Uh, uh, in the Middle Ages, they decided, no, that didn't make sense, so they broke it on 33 and 34. All of 33 is one verse, one sentence. And then they begin a new sentence in verse 34. So let me explain how this works out. Let's take the reading we have in our Bible. So it goes like this. Oh, uh, one other thing quickly. The word church in the Bible means, uh, it's, it's ecclesia. It means to call out. The idea is people are in their homes. Some Paul Revere type person comes riding through town and calls them out. So they have a meeting. Okay. That's what, that's what the word actually means. We're going to call you out of your homes so we can have a meeting. That's what happens in church. If you know, um, Spanish, the word, the word iglesia, their word for church is, um, is related to this ecclesia, okay. So it's called out and back up one more one more quickly. So it uh, forward. All right, uh, too far. Stop there. Okay. All right. So um, so it means assembly. It means meeting. It means when people congregate together. Okay. That's where we get our word congregation. Okay. It does not mean a building or anything else you might you might imagine church to mean. So I'm going to translate these exact sentences the way we've got them, but I'm going to change the word um, to meetings. Okay. So let's go ahead and look at how how ours says it. It says, "For God is not a, dis- a God a, is a God not of disorder but of peace." Paragraph. As in all the meetings of the saints, everywhere else, all those other meetings, every church I know of, women should be silent in meetings in Corinth. Also, right? That's the way we would read our Bible. Okay, that's the way we would read it. But 
Suppose we're wrong about where to break that paragraph. Let's look at it a different way. For God is not as a God not of disorder but of peace in Corinth, as in all the meetings of the saints everywhere else. Why should your church be crazy and disruptive when other churches get along just fine? And then, new paragraph, women in Corinth should be silent in the meetings of the Corinth church. A much narrower reading. Is he saying this applies to all churches everywhere? Or is he saying one church in Corinth? It is an interpretive decision where you make that break. And we see just from the fact that those verse numbers, when they added the verse numbers in the Middle Ages, they had a different interpretation than our Bible does. I'm not saying ours is right or wrong. I'm saying I actually like this translation, but I'm saying it's an interpretive decision, and we have to wrestle with this. Okay, so we have to decide, is it a narrow reading? Is it all wives or women, or is it just the ones in that church? Now, the next thing is what do they do? Okay, they. I'm. so what should they do? Paul says, be silent. So what does he say? So he says they should be silent in the church. And next slide. Um, he told other people in the church to be silent too. We have to realize in context, Paul's telling a lot of people to be quiet. In verse 28, he says, if, if you're speaking in tongues, God has given you the gift to speak like an angel. And he says, be quiet. And then in verse tw- uh, 30, he says, if a revelation is made to someone else nearby, let the first person stop talking. And then he says, women should be silent in the church. In context, Paul's uh, telling a lot of people to be quiet, and the broader theme of his discussion is disorder in the church. He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And therefore, people who have legitimate things to say that are a good thing for church sometimes need to be quiet because of the circumstances in which that happened. So there's a good argument to be made that Paul is talking about something that is very specific to a circumstance. And then he says, next slide, he says, um, oh, and one other thought. He also says in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, he says, women who pray should should um, uh, have their heads covered. That's a whole different can of worms. I am not going to preach on that next week, okay? Uh, because we all ignore that one and we're all happy with that. None of you are wearing veils and there are men with long hair and that's what he's getting at in verse 11. There, I mean, chapter 11. There's places in the Bible where we, feel, where we feel very comfortable ignoring what Paul says, right? He says, these people need to have long hair, these people need to have short hair, and we ignore it. So I'm not even going to open up that can of worms. But there are places where we say, oh, I don't know, maybe we better pay close attention to what Paul says. So in chapter 14, that's one of the circumstances. People say women should be quiet. So we know women are praying in the church in Corinth because he says so in uh, chapter 11. And then he says to ask your husbands, okay, um, ask their husbands. So uh, ask their husbands at home. Why would why would you say that? Why would Paul, remember, we're trying to figure out what Demetri's saying on the other end of the line. Why would Paul tell the women to ask their husbands? Because they don't know what's going on, okay? So the women are being admitted to some new form of worship that they are unfamiliar with. Now, we don't know enough about the church to understand what that might be. It could be that they are uh, Jewish women and they have been uh, confined to the role that women were confined to in the Jewish religion. Or it could be that they were pagans and they, they were not given a particular role in their pagan ceremonies before. But in either event, women are being included in the worship of the church here. He's saying they're here, 
This is a new thing for them. They don't know what's been going on in worship because they've never been allowed to before. And now Paul's saying, help them figure it out. He doesn't say, don't you mind your pretty little head, right? He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, no, it's important that the women know what's going on in the worship, but they just shouldn't do it in a disruptive manner. So he says, ask them at home and figure it out. And then he asks some things. Or so so um, he says, he says uh, uh, women should, should understand what's going on. And then he says um, these rhetorical questions. Uh, he says in verse 36, or did the word of God originate with you or are you the only ones it reached? Um, and the reason he says that is because there are these other two things that we can object to. Paul says uh, women are not permitted to speak but should be subordinate as the law also says. I think that's my next one. Okay, so very quickly, what is he saying there? They should not be permitted to speak. We know from verse uh, 5 of chapter 11, they are, women pray, so long as they've got their heads covered, right? And they should be subordinate as the law. So it says, well, what law is that? Well, this is an objectionable thing. We can say, well, I don't know if I like that. But let's look at the next one. He says, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. So Paul says, uh, it is shameful for women to speak in church. And then he follows it with two rhetorical questions. He says, he says, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it reached? They're not just rhetorical questions. They're sarcastic questions. One more slide. He says, oh, really? Is that so? I think Paul is answering something that the church in Corinth said in their letter to him. They said, Paul, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And Paul says, oh, really? Is that so? Are you the only ones that, uh, sorry, did the word of God originate with you, the men of Corinth? I don't think so. Are you the only ones that reached? God didn't talk to the women in Corinth? I don't think so. So Paul is being sarcastic in answering an objection. So he's, whether it was something that was in a letter that he got sent or whether he's anticipating their response, either way, Paul is answering it with sarcasm. Now, you may agree with that or not. We certainly can agree with that it's sarcasm. Paul is being very sarcastic here. And I would just say, do you want to be in a church that builds its doctrine and its dogma on sarcasm? Right? Wouldn't you feel much more comfortable building your doctrine on places where the scriptures are clear? There's a principle we use in Bible translation which says that scripture interprets itself. If you get a puzzling part of scripture, you go to a different part of scripture to understand what it says. So what I want to do is I want to refer us to quickly to the other two passages of scripture we looked at today. The first one is the, the, um, the place where Hannah is corrected for her prayer in church by, by the uh, prophet Eli. What is she corrected for? What specifically is Hannah doing wrong? He thinks she's drunk, but what is she doing wrong? How is she praying? She's praying silently. So isn't it at least possible? I'm not saying it's compelling, but isn't it possible? You know, if you're the jury, is that reasonable doubt? Isn't it possible that her error was to pray silently? She should have been praying out loud. Women maybe should speak in church. And then Luke 1, the passage at the beginning of Luke's gospel, where uh, you're familiar with this story from Christmas time. You know how this story goes. The angel Gabriel is sent to uh, Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. 
he he he's lucky his his job uh he, there's a lot of priests and he gets the rotation he comes his name comes up in the rotation he gets to go in and serve the lord and what he does is he has an encounter with an angel an angel shows up and says you're going to get the baby you've always been hoping for and uh uh Zechariah says um and I should have marked it Zechariah says uh he says, how will I know this is so? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And the angel says, wrong answer. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. The guy whose job is to speak in church is silenced. That's the first thing that happens in Luke's gospel. What's the second thing that happens? An illiterate 13-year-old has an encounter with an angel. Gabriel goes to visit Mary and says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And she says, How will this happen since I am a virgin? And the angel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And she says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to me. Uh, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then she stands up and sings a song full of theology. She's a theologian. Zechariah gets to talk about the weather. He gets to talk about details. The first person to make a theological statement in Luke's gospel is the woman. And what she says is that God is turning the world upside down. And she says it right after the guy whose job is to talk in church is silenced. So isn't it at least possible that the message of the gospel is that all people can speak in church? That the world has been turned upside down. God is doing a new thing. And voices that have been silenced should speak up. So, luckily I've got an extra day this weekend. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm about done. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? All right. First of all, if you're a male, okay, then don't make the mistake Eli made. Be careful how you shut up women, okay? And that includes if you go off and start your own church and make the rules for that church. Be very careful about shutting up women in the church, okay? Now, what about women? All right. I should be cautious because I just said men should be careful not to make uh, uh, the mistake of Eli. But let me tell you this. If you're a woman in the church and God is calling you to speak, then speak to men. Don't just speak to women. You know, church should not be a lifetime movie, okay? It should not be lavender and tea. Your message, if it is from God, may very well apply to all the men in the church. You wouldn't like a church where the pastor always has illustrations from Braveheart and Patton, okay? And if you're a woman, then think about the men. How is this message something that is good news for men too? Now, that's, that's the specific application. But let me invite you to think about this. The, the, British, um, the British writer C.S. Lewis said in one place, he says, he wishes Paul were more clear. He says, he says sometimes Paul's arguments are very difficult to follow. And this is a guy who you know, read Greek and Latin and all the rest. He says sometimes it's very hard to unpack what Paul's getting at. 
But in another place, C.S. Lewis says, says, I've often wished that God would just give me a nice systematic theology. A, B, C, D. He says, but God doesn't do that. And the reason God doesn't do that is God doesn't want you to memorize a list. God wants you to have a relationship. And so maybe when there are these troublesome passages in Scripture, is that God doesn't want you to figure it out. God wants you to keep coming back and saying, God, I don't understand that passage. Because God doesn't care if you know what it says. God only cares if you know him. And so if you keep coming back and say, God, help me understand, how does that passage apply to me? Should I speak? Should I not speak? Should they speak? Should they not speak? God wants that relationship more than anything else. Imagine if all of us took the Bible seriously that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures and we thank you for even the hard places. Lord, we know that women have been kept silent in churches um, in ways that have distressed you. Um, And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that we would not make the mistake of Eli, and that we would hear the message that Mary proclaimed, that you are turning the world upside down. And we pray particularly, Lord, in times of trouble, when we realize the world needs turning upside down. Help us to see your hand in all you do. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.